Hi everyone and welcome to Behind the Numbers. I'm Dave Bookbinder, Senior Director at CFGI. This is the show where we dig deeper to understand what matters most in business and today we're going to be talking about helping companies move into the digital world. And I'm pleased to welcome my guest, Mike Province, who's the CEO of 3x3. Mike, welcome to Behind the Numbers. Hey, thanks for having me. Uh, it's really a pleasure. Great to be here. Why don't you tell the audience a little bit about who you are, Mike, and then we'll jump in. The best way to describe me, Dave, is that I'm a problem solver and a builder. I've spent my entire career working in and around startups, growth companies, technology innovation of all sorts and across a number of different industries. And the one thing they all have in common is they have hard problems to solve. Yeah, and I want to I want to call out a little bit of your background just to set the frame for your level of expertise here, because uh, I, I believe you were involved in the uh, the days of MapQuest and and constructing the anybody who's a, a parent with college age kids or soon to be FAFSA. Yes, absolutely. Uh, one of the things that early in my career I was really uh, pleased to be able to do is help develop new to the world technologies and ideas and. Two of those, as you mentioned, were MapQuest and FAFSA, and they were at two different points in time in my career. Um, but what the focus was at the time was inventing uh, personalization for the internet before cookies existed. And so that's near and dear to everyone's heart as we talk about cookies going away now. Um, but back in the 90s, I was led the team to build MapQuest and led the team to build the, FAFSA, the first FAFSA application online. Yeah, I wanted to just make sure that the audience understood that we're talking with someone here with some serious credibility, so all good. Let's talk just a little bit about 3x3 because I know that you've got sort of a niche business, but a lot of what you do translates into broader aspects of business, and that's where we're ultimately going to take this conversation. But why don't we start by you talking a little bit about 3x3. Absolutely, thanks. 3x3 is a company that started about three years ago to help the mom and pop liquor store be competitive with all the other channels through which alcohol is sold, whether that's grocery, big box, uh, Amazon, or other online channels like Drizzly, uh, enabling those lo local liquor stores to continue to be the source of discovery for shoppers. We started by building a very wide network of more than 1,500 retailer stores across the country and collecting their point of sale data to build a picture of who their shoppers were, who, what the products were that were leaving the store. And through our machine learning and our algorithms, we've been able to turn that into baskets of flavor profile and, and taste preferences that enable us to model shoppers and help brands and retailers reach those shoppers. Yeah, and we're going to talk about brands reaching shoppers, but I want to spend just a moment here on your specific niche with, with the regard to liquor stores and so forth. Um, you'd mentioned as we were doing our prep call something that I hadn't really even thought about consciously, that is the shopping discovery experience. And anybody who's ever gone shopping for wine or, or, or any kind of a spirit for a gift or for a party or what have you, we, we've always, as you mentioned, gotten what we came to get and then browse the aisles and, and see what else is around and that gave us exposure to other different brands and labels and oh that artwork looks pretty cool but as you correctly pointed out that didn't exist during the pandemic so how did brands change the way they get discovered during those times that's a great point one of the things that brands depended on pre-pandemic was with the liquor stores was the ability for the shopper to walk in they didn't normally have shopping lists so they would wander the aisles they would the retailers would be hand selling, the brands would have their uh, brand ambassadors doing tastings. There would be very 
experiential oriented things for shoppers. Obviously the pandemic kind of muted that for a long time. Brands then had to shift all of that um, energy and investment to digital channels, creating experiences, helping people think about new ways to bring product to life. And they, they did it you know, in the short run during the pandemic by doing things like virtual tastings or uh, giving people content to host virtual gatherings on, on Zoom and other channels like Google Meet. Um, but ultimately, the brands did suffer, small brands suffered a lot because the smaller ones are the ones that depended on things like tastings and liquor stores hand selling their product because they didn't have brand traction. They didn't have momentum with, you know, for top of mind for, for consumers. So they, they fought their way through. Many of them actually went more direct to the consumer to carry a message to them about their product uh, and made sure that people were thinking about them when they were planning their dinners. And, and as things started opening up, you saw a lot of uh, effort around brands getting uh, that experience back in the hands of the, the shoppers. Yeah, and, and you mentioned about um, your ability to kind of construct flavor profiles, and I, I analogize that to the, if you like this, you might like that. You know, if you're in the Amazon shopping cart, if you have this in your cart, you get those kinds of suggestions. I don't want you to give away your secret sauce here, but if you can talk a little bit about the underpinnings of, I'll call it that algorithm, if you will, and then maybe how that can springboard into different areas beyond just liquor. Sure. If you think about any receipt, and obviously we focus on the liquor store receipts, so it's mostly alcohol, but every receipt is a reflection of some sort of preference set that, that a shopper has, and that's why they went in the store. So if, if you've got a shopper going into grocery and buying sausage and cheese, there's a certain either occasion or there's a taste preference built into why they're purchasing those things. Alcohol is much the same way. When I buy a, a number of bottles of wine and spirits and beer, what's actually in those bottles are different tastes. And what we've done is take the list of products that's on the receipt and turn that into a list of tastes on the receipt, essentially a bundle of flavors, a bundle of tastes, to be able to map the relationship of the different products to why that shopper may or may not be purchasing those products versus others. So to your uh, uh, example of if you like this, you'll like that, the, the determinant of if you like this, you'll like that is really based off of a commonality in taste preferences that cross over those bottles in the receipt. Yeah, and look, sometimes as a consumer, uh, those are really super helpful, especially if you're talking about alcohol. You know, if you like this particular type of brandy or scotch or what have you, you might like a different brand because of that flavor profile. But um, a lot of consumers are also fearful about the privacy impact here. And, and I know that you don't violate any privacy, obviously. And again, without giving away any of your secret sauce, can you just help folks watching and listening to get some comfort that as you know, these things are going on in the background, uh, how it's really for their benefit? So, first of all, two things. The first, the privacy when it comes to doing this. You know, we're doing this in aggregate. We take $20 billion worth of receipt data and compile that through our machine learning into patterns of shopper, proto, uh, prototypical shoppers or ideal types. Right? We can separate out different purchase patterns based off different combinations of flavors, but we don't have any names of people when we're doing that. The only time it really comes into play for an individual shopper's benefit is when we present that interface that lets them, say, answer a few questions about which candies they like in grandma's candy bowl or what they eat for breakfast and turn that into 
mapping to the different flavors of alcohol that may be interesting for them. And then we make product recommendations. And at all times, they're able to opt in or opt out and participate or not in sharing their information with us. So we're, we're very cognizant of all the issues around privacy. I mean, it, it, as you mentioned earlier, in my background, I've been dealing with internet privacy since the mid-90s. This is something that is always top of mind for me. Yeah. Mike, for folks who are watching and listening, what's the best way for them to reach out to you if they want to learn more about you or maybe work with you? The easiest way to reach us, we're at 3x3.us or spelled out 3x3.us, and I'm simply Mike at 3x3.us. Sounds good. So, Mike, we've got about three minutes to go here in this segment, so I don't want to go too deep on this, but you mentioned um, the, the post-cookie era. You alluded to that. Uh, why don't you just maybe set the, the stage for our second segment here. Tell us what that really means, when, when that's happening, and, and what the impact. Well, just let, let's go with what it is and, and when it's happening. Sure. The, the, the post-cookie reference refers to shifts in social norms regarding privacy. Right Between GDPR in Europe, in, in, in the uh, Eurozone, and rule changes in California that are now starting to permeate across the United States and other countries, people's privacy, consumer privacy in particular, is becoming a a lightning rod of activity and a lot of the bigger platforms, Facebook, Google, others are taking action to remove or reduce companies' ability to target individuals. So when we talk about post-cookie era, we're really talking about consumers having more say and control in their own privacy. Sounds good. That's a great spot for us to take a quick break. Mike, don't go anywhere. We will be right back on Behind the Numbers after we pay a few bills. And welcome back to Behind the Numbers. I'm Dave Bookbinder, and I should mention that if you'd like to connect with me, you can find me on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter. Happy to connect. Today we're talking about moving into the digital world with Mike Province, who's the CEO of 3x3. Mike, great conversation in that first segment here. I want to continue almost where we left off in the last segment with this post-cookie environment. And in that kind of a situation, uh, it's going to be even increasingly harder for businesses to communicate with their customers. And, and this is where I think we can maybe take the conversation to maybe a, even a broader level. So in that post-cookie era, how can companies connect better with their consumers? Well, I, I don't think it's necessarily harder. It, it actually requires companies to go back to some fundamentals of creating value for people. Um, consumers are willing to share their information. They're willing to connect and build persistent connections with companies if there's the companies are doing something of value for them you know there's a reason that we all hang out on amazon and shop there there's a reason 
that when we have our favorite companies, we come back again and again. And that's really what being in this post cookie era means. It's about companies finding those nuggets of value that get the shoppers coming back to them, that get the consumers coming back and, and building around that building, you know, thinking that is their moat and building the castle around that or inside of that uh, to build value and, and to deliver that to shoppers. Then they'll be willing to share. So you, you had mentioned the word experience before in the first segment. Talk a little bit about how brands can create experiences for their customers. Absolutely. And it's, this is especially true, obviously, in CPG, where we, when you want to set yourself apart from just being an alcohol, a food, and anything, right? The, as you look at what's changed in the digital space, even around food, for example, the number of companies coming up with uh, cooking prep kits or prepared food delivered to your door, it's moved away from the notion of just having fast food dropped at your doorstep, right? People want to be able to be creators. They want to feel like they're learning. They want to feel like they're building and, and doing something new. And companies are catering to that. They're giving them the kits, but not going all the way to building it themselves. It's it's a little bit, you know, <laughs> having been around the internet now since the mid '90s, I've seen the same business models come back again and again and again. And even pre-internet, remember that VW that you used to get all the parts and you got to build your own car. Well, this is smaller versions of that, but. People want to feel like they're connected to the things that are, you know, they're using and that are important to them. And I think there's internet business models that are catering to that today. Yeah, you certainly see a lot of those kinds of, we'll call them experiential type commercials on television. Uh, is content still important, Mike? I, I think content's absolutely important as long as it's targeted, right? The, the mass media kind of content that is certainly starting to go away as technology and as the so social conditions and the tools for consumers to sort through content and to choose content are becoming more powerful. So companies have to be more focused on how do I speak individually? How do I use technology to tailor my message to different types of shoppers rather than think my message applies equally well across everyone? Yeah, and when you talk about brands creating value so that it's not left to our imaginations. What do you mean by that? What is creating value? Value is, is uh, the shopper's perception of the use and the utilization they get from that thing, whether it's CPG food or it's clothing or it's a car. We all associate different rationale behind the choices we make. You know, some people will buy a car for its engine and its power. Others will buy it because it's got a huge screen to run Google Maps on when I'm doing a long trip. Uh, the, the features, the benefits, the, the attribution I put on the products I choose are very individual. They're very personal and, and they're very different. And even when you look at alcohol, for example, you would think that, well, it's alcohol. People just want to be able to drink alcohol. But the reasons we choose it vary as much because of who we are as a person to the reasons we're using it, whether it's a holiday, an occasion, a dinner, uh, impressing the boss, you know, being able to recruit a new, uh, new hotshot, whatever those reasons are, um, that's really where the value comes in. And we're going to make different choices. I buy a different bottle of whiskey for me when I'm enjoying it at home than I might buy if I'm buying a round for 10 people at a bar. 
right? Different, yep. different context, different reason. Yeah, and likewise, if, if you're doing it for a gift, you're looking to impress, and that's the different brand cachet, and exactly. Uh, Mike, mm -hmm. for folks watching and listening, if they want to learn more about you, how can they reach out to you? Well, the easiest way with the, the company is 3x3 or 3x3.us, and I'm Mike at 3x3.us. I'm also on LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. Uh, on LinkedIn, it's Province, P-R-O-B-A-N-C-E. And on Instagram and Twitter, I'm just Mike Province. Great. So, Mike, you've obviously been doing this for quite some time, and you, you've seen a lot of things done wrong, and you've seen a lot of things done well. Uh, and I know stories always tell uh, much better than uh, maybe sometimes just conversations. So maybe if you could, can you share with our audience some of the things that you've witnessed over your career that were either done really, really well or really poorly or both? So I, I think that the, the poorly and well boils down to the user experience. And we, we see that that um, acronym UX thrown around a lot now. Um, but it really is an important thing. We, we almost pay too much attention to being proud of ourselves and how creative or well designed our, uh, our website is or how clever our photography is for Instagram when our real focus should be on what the person's getting from that. So when I run different companies and work with different companies throughout my career, yeah, I've had some very great successes and I've had some that have gone sideways. Uh, and usually it's tied to missing on the user experience. They really get what they wanted from it. So um, trying to think of an example off the top of my head, but you know, I, I, I think that the, the biggest fundamental miss that companies have when they try to go from their brick and mortar physical world to digital is assuming that we behave the same way in a physical store, in a physical setting than we do online. And online, we're much more able to consume lots and lots of data as long as it's presented in you know, easy chunks to consume. And that, that companies either err on one side or the other. They don't present enough and are, get lost because people move on or they're just overwhelming someone without giving them a perspective on how it's useful to them individually. Um, Pass is probably a good example. It's gotten so much better in the last few years than it was when we first built it. Now, you know, keep in mind that building this in 1998, it was all done from scratch and by hand and the tech was in a very different place than it is today. But just the, the ability of browsers to handle content for users has, has grown tremendously. Yeah, so the term artificial intelligence is something that's on the top of everyone's mind, Mike. And maybe you can spend a minute or two here talking a little bit about how artificial intelligence uh, either supports or underpins predictive marketing. You bet. I would start by saying that with, with some very limited exceptions where it's narrowly applied, artificial intelligence to me is more a label to help orient people's thinking than it is an actual technology. It's actually an umbrella for many different technologies that are at different states of maturity. So for example, we use machine learning in, in what we do. It's a very uh, well-trodden, well-proven platform for analyzing massive amounts of data and turning that into predictive patterns of behavior. Um, and it works in certain circumstances, but artificial intelligence like we see in the movies doesn't exist yet. Uh, it will, but companies are finding different ways essentially to link 
different sets of data together with users at the end game, right? Artificial intelligence is only useful if it's being applied to a problem to solve for somebody, whether that's a business or an individual. Um, so when, I, when you talk about predictive marketing, you're really talking about how do we get products that we sell to be closer uh, in nature to what people want to buy, right? How much of a gap exists there? And predictive marketing can help narrow that gap by tightening up the focus of each of the products being delivered. And that's more true of digital product than it is obviously a physical product. But even in physical product, you're seeing um, machine learning and other tools being used to reduce the, the manufacturing volume. You know, back in the 80s, there was this mass customization concept. Well, that's back in favor today at that term, but the nature of using massive manufacturing capabilities to produce small runs of product that target very specific customer sets, and that's all driven by this technology that lets us analyze massive amounts of data. Yeah. In terms of analyzing data, Mike, are companies doing a really good job in terms of analyzing buyer behavior? I think they do a pretty good job in identifying the demographics of who their customers are, but how about that deeper dive into understanding the behavioral aspects? I think companies are handling the supply chain data a lot more effectively in making decisions than they are buying behavior data, primarily because the behavioral side of the equation is just so much harder to crack. Right, that, that code and being able to translate data to, to human behavior is still a, still a challenge, right? Even with system biology advances and other things that let us look at brain scans, um, simple things like taste have been shown to be wrong, right? Even the kinds of things we're doing is an approximation of what we think people like, but the reality is even as an individual, on some days I like tequila, on other days I'll have whiskey. Some days I'm not going to have alcohol at all. And it's often driven by what my mindset and my taste set is in that moment in time and what the occasion is, it is that I'm doing. So it will take a long time and massive technology shifts for us to be able to replicate uh, the behavioral side and, and estimate the behavioral side better. But we're close is better than nothing right now. Right. And we're improving that every day. Yeah, so Mike, we're coming down to the end of the program here, maybe just a couple more minutes to go, and I wanted to just give you an opportunity to, to tell the audience um, your best advice and your best counsel for how they can do a better job in their digital marketing and speaking with their customers and understanding their customers. Well, I think the simplest piece of advice that I can give is don't assume you understand how your shopper behaves. Spend the time to have make them part of the product development process spend the time to make them part of shaping what that value and that, that contribution is for their lives rather than simply giving it to them. Yeah, so you're, you're talking more about the, uh, the good old days of bringing folks in and tasting the different flavors of soda, for example, and which one do they prefer? And even more hands-on, it's really what's referred to today as co-designing the product. So not, not trying to bring thousands of people in, but find those, those prototypical customers and have them be a part of the design process. You know, there's a commercial for a car company that today that talks about this new innovation where the lights come on when they're needed, but they disappear behind the design of the car when they're not. 
right? There's clearly some user involvement in that process at some level, and all products really need that. If you want to get closer to the, the consumer, the, the buyer of your product, you've got to bring them into the process of designing it. Sounds good. Great advice. Mike, thank you so much for joining us today on Behind the Numbers. Thank you, Dave. Appreciate the time. That's a pleasure. And thank you for watching and listening to Behind the Numbers. I'm Dave Bookbinder. Please do hit the subscribe button wherever you're watching and listening so that you can stay in contact with us. We will see you again next time. Take care, everybody.